ladies and gentlemen, it is that time again. It is the Freedom Warrior Podcast today on the program. A little more on the Trump-Russia stuff, not a whole lot, just more on reactions at this point, because that's what I'm interested in seeing it the, uh, the day after it fell apart, uh, or at least he walked away. But let's look at the reactions of some on the left. And then also on the program, uh, I'll be talking a little bit about Michelle Malkin. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she's a, a pretty popular uh, conservative-leaning uh, investigative journalist, and uh, she's on a lot of different outlets. She's got uh, columns everywhere, popping up everywhere. Uh, she's kind of like a mercenary. You just see her everywhere, but she's really good at what she does. Uh, so she is in hot water with Sharia law and the, the radical Islam. So that's uh, something to talk about. And then uh, on the subject, back again, here we are yet again on the subject of censorship with this time uh, YouTube. So I will uh, just dive right in here uh, on the subject of President Trump. Uh, President Trump and Kim Jong-un talked, you know, they they attempted to work things out. Um, President Trump wasn't willing to concede everything. He wasn't willing to um, basically give up the farm just to get, um, you know, a a 30% solution which uh, in the case of Iran, Obama and the Obama administration were willing to give up the farm for a 0% solution. So that's actually not bad. Um, hey, look, if the deal isn't there, then don't make the deal. Um, don't, don't give everything away to a tyrannical dictator uh, just because you think it would be a good idea to do it right now. And you got to hand them some credit because people uh, on the news outlets, the fake media, uh, you know, people like Jim Acosta are out to condemn him for not, you know, basically solving world peace overnight. Uh, so uh, Acosta was at the forefront of this because he's always such a, a prima donna and, and a, a drama queen, just always has to have the attention. Uh, it's always about him, even when he's, you know, across the, the globe and there are other uh, journalists from other countries. It's always about Mr. Uh, Jim Acosta. So I won't touch on this too long because I think you could probably get this uh, take in many other uh, avenues, news outlets, podcasts, what, what have you, uh, but I will give you my take on it um, nonetheless. So in Singapore, uh, Jim Acosta did not get called on during the, uh, the post-summit press conference, and that really irritated Mr. Full of Himself, Jim Acosta. And uh, let's see, what did Jim say? He said, it's a strike. Uh, it's strike one in Singapore. He didn't get a deal. Now it's strike two in Hanoi. Humbled in D.C. Humbled here in Hanoi. Heading back to Washington empty-handed. Then he continued saying, the president staked a lot of his presidency on something that is just much more difficult than reality TV. This is not something that can be wrapped up in a season of the the apprentice. Okay, so he is just upset that CNN didn't get called on during the post-summit news conference or press conference, and he would have, I'm sure, enjoyed grandstanding uh, in front of a global stage, uh, attempting to make the president look like a fool, um, make him look bad in front of all the people, all all the favorite and enemies, you know, uh, 
you know, Russia, China, all of them were there. And Acosta was just itching. He was like, man, I just really want to make the president look like an idiot in front of all these people. But he didn't call on him, so he didn't have the opportunity. He took a 15-some-hour flight over there, probably much more in travel when you consider um, to and from airports and hotels and what have you. So um, have fun on that trip back. Uh, maybe he can write in his Dear Diary Jim Acosta journal uh, on the way back home. I've heard that is very therapeutic uh, for those who need it. Um, but, you know, how does this guy live with himself? I mean, he, he apparently thinks nuclear war is great as long as it uh, embarrasses the president. I mean, what, what, are you, what are you hoping to get out of this? Just to go make a fool of him? Just you're, you're, you're celebrating that things didn't work out? We're talking about negotiating with a dictator who has nuclear capacity and, uh, you know, intercontinental ballistic nuclear uh, missile capacities. And he's over here, like, celebrating like he's like a five-year-old who, uh, you know, his brother just got in trouble with mom. And he's like, ha ha, ha ha, ha ha, ha ha. I mean, are we news outlets or is this... Is this kindergarten? The, the, can we grow up? What, what the hell is wrong with these people? Um, so this brings me back to my rant from yesterday, actually, about uh, Americans appreciating what they have, loving their country, and being prepared for the worst-case scenario. I mean, if you're celebrating Trump failing to denuclearize North Korea, just whose side are you on? And I might mention uh, that what, the last 50 plus years worth of presidents haven't been able to get a, a handle on this regime. Obviously, they haven't had nuclear weapons the entire time, but nobody has been able to really stop this regime since the Korean War. And in fact, many of them have made it worse. For example, Bill Clinton, uh, handing them everything, capitulating, getting zero out of it. I mean, they just Within a decade and a half, they had nuclear weapons after uh, Bill Clinton had basically get, uh, given up on all sanctions and gave them everything, all kinds of uh, fossil fuel. Um, I think there were some sanctions on fossil fuels and imports and things like that. And he just let it, let them have it just to have this like pinky promise. And look what that did. So no one gave him uh, a bunch of crap about it, you know. Good, good grief. I mean, the, the president is trying to do what he can do. Obviously, it's not perfect, and it's going to take a long time. Um, also, by the way, you've noticed a lot of silence on, you know, the intercontinental missile tests, uh, ballistic missile tests that have been that haven't been happening for the past year and a half. That's an accomplishment alone. They were escalating things. It was looking pretty uh, sketchy. I can tell you from being inside the army that there was a point when I was still on active duty orders, I was almost out of the army, that I, I saw the, the shift. I saw the shift in focus from uh, the Middle East or from uh, you know Afghanistan as well, over in Asia, but um, just all of the wars going on, the ongoing war on terrorism and what, uh, what have you. But I saw the shift immediately when that started escalating with, with what their capabilities were, and we knew what their capabilities were. Uh, that was a real scary time. I mean, we we made a major, major shift in focus over to Korea. And just boom, like that, Trump was able to 
at least resolve some of that so that it wasn't um, it didn't turn into a full-blown powder keg situation. So on that note, uh, Michelle Malkin, back to the other end of the world uh, that I spoke of, the war on terrorism and radicalism and all of that. Uh, Michelle Malkin had a piece today over at the National Review. Uh, she talks on the piece about how Twitter notified her that a tweet of hers from 2015 violates Pakistan law. So I'm not sure what, um, you know, a, an American company, an American microblogging company in Twitter, what, what they would care about Pakistan law um, in regards to a tweet. But anyways, um, so what, what did this tweet say? Well, it featured a compilation image of the 12 Muhammad cartoons published by a Danish newspaper back in 2005, and it linked to Malkin's January 8, uh, 2015 column on the Charlie Hebdo uh, Jihad massacre in Paris, you might remember. Uh, so this is quoting the, the National Review piece from Malkin. She says that the Twitter notice assured me that the company, quote, has not taken any action on the reported content at this time, unquote, yet advised me that I should, quote, consult legal counsel about this matter, unquote, in response to complaints from unnamed authorized entities. Uh, so she says, don't worry, but lawyer up. Gulp. <laughs> so uh, several years back in uh, 2006, she, uh, Malkin, spearheaded a Muhammad cartoons blog burst in support of the Danish cartoonists she linked uh, in her tweet to uh, back in 2015. And Malkin went on to describe the amount of death and rape threats she got from the uh, radical Muslims at the time of her initial uh, columns and uh, the, the Muhammad cartoons blog burst. Uh, so they also attacked her and um, her website, like hacked her website with DOS attacks or DDoS attacks. Um, Malkin continues, uh, this is from her piece, she says, 13 years later, however, who knew that using an American company's microblogging service uh, from my secluded mountaintop in Colorado could get me in hot water with foreign Muslim Stone Age goons 8,000 miles away who are still hung up about the cartoons? Uh, who knew Twitter would act as, a, as dutiful messenger pigeons for the oppressive anti-blasphemy police squad that sentences people to death for disparaging Islam. So welcome to Silicon Valley Sharia. Um, so keep in mind, this is back to me again, uh, keep in mind that none of these tweets or columns express any desire or um, express any violence, hate, profanity, or pornography. They're completely clear and clean. There's nothing there other than it violates Sharia law. So uh, it simply questions Islamic extremism which apparently we're not allowed to even question these days. It's not that you hate the people. You can't even question the ideas behind it. You can't even, you can't even question the extreme, you know, ends of, of the spectrum. You know, you can't even do the equivalent of a left-winger talking about, uh, you know, Charlottesville. You can't be like, wow, that's really screwed up. You can't even do that in the other direction and say, wow, it's really screwed up. They're killing gay people. That seems a little backwards, um, you know, but whenever you question the radical practices of Sharia law or even terrorists, it's like, oh no, suddenly 
Silicon Valley has to step in and administer the Sharia law themselves. They might as well be living in Pakistan uh, in these backward times where they're having blasphemy laws. They're, they're effectively implementing back blasphemy laws on their platforms. Uh, and that's what she's ex expressing. Um, so, yeah, she needs to lawyer up because pa she's violating Pakistan law, the, these religious theocracy or theocratic laws. Uh, so Malkin continues. She says, deplatforming dissenting voices is a ruthless, bizarre, and unprogressive, an un unprogressive uh, way to achieve diversity and inclusion. So is conspiring with repressive regimes that are hell-bent on destroying the West. Twitter has become America's version of Islam's morality police, the dreaded Mutawin, uh, which is, you know, the people that go around and uh, basically arrest people uh, for violating religious law. So uh, that's where we're at. That's where we're, um, we aren't, I can't even imagine where we're going. I feel like if you told me, what she's experiencing right now, if you said we're going in that direction, I would say even if we're 10% of the way there, I'd say, holy crap, we need to do something about this. We're already here. We're already at that point. She's already at that point. She's already having to lawyer up because of Pakistan. I mean, why do I care what Pakistan thinks of my free speech? I don't. I don't care what Pakistan thinks of my free speech. I don't care what Afghanistan thinks of my free speech. I don't care what any country thinks of my free speech outside of my country and its constitution that supports my free speech. And you see this all the time, uh, you know, on other platforms too. This is YouTube. This is just, um, I'm sorry, this is Twitter in this case. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it'll be others as well. And I'm, I'm actually going to give another uh, example of the censorship going on or the suppression in just one moment. All right, so speaking of censorship, there is a lot more censorship going on across the social media spectrum, uh, this time over at YouTube. Today, uh, well, actually it was yesterday, Joe Rogan's podcast, the Joe Rogan Experience, blew up on YouTube, uh, had over 200,000 live viewers. Uh, there were, I believe, 2.5 million, almost 3 million total views on the page uh, by today. And it was never once trending, even though you had videos like doing Jonah's marbles makeup and the live C-SPAN feed of the Michael Cohen testimony uh, making the list. Uh, the, the Cohen testimony had only 80,000 or as few as I think like 30 or 40,000 uh, viewers live um, streaming that. Yet the Joe Rogan experience blew up one of its most uh, popular episodes, I believe, ever. Um, just because of the controversy involved, because the, the guest was none other than Alex Jones of InfoWars, the deplatformed uh, persona who is rather eccentric and controversial, um, a little wonky, uh, I will say that. Uh, not a lot of conservatives who are actually a fan of the guy, but man, when it comes to free speech, it just seems like it doesn't ever end. So, and here we are again with, with uh, YouTube, censoring conservatives um i think what cnn had a video about cohen that can't even amass uh 300,000 videos yet that made it to number six overall in the trending lists that's not live viewers that's total viewers and 
Rogan was almost at three million, ten times that almost. Um, and, and they had over a, one one million in seven hours' time on the Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, yet another example uh, of conservatives just getting the the short end of the stick. And you know, when it comes to this censorship stuff, uh, you know, we got to fight back. This is the this is the era we're in. This is the fight of our era. Um, I, I don't know what there is to do, but these these sites, these Silicon Valley tyrants, must be held in check. Uh, the digital world, you know, the information superhighway, the internet, uh, you know, they have a monopoly on this as far as social interactions. Um, you know, these platforms, for whatever reason, there aren't other competitors out there. And right now, uh, you know, they they really have a stranglehold on it, and they are really screwing over conservatives pretty hard. Um, not giving them a fair fair uh, take um, or a fair shake, I should say. Um, you know, they're out there really just patrolling uh, the, the Internet and they have manual curation lists where they're, you know, saying what can and can't go on the front pages, uh, who, who can and can't trend. Uh, even if a video is trending, they have a way of just basically, you know, having a human go in there and say, oh, nope, no, now you're not. Um, and, and that's been happening a lot to conservatives across the board, across Facebook. Uh, just m my own experiences here on Twitter. Uh, Twitter at one point deleted 100% of my followers with no warning and no notice. They never told me I violated anything or that the other users did. And it wasn't even like a small amount. It was like, you know, like I said 100% of them. I mean, I had like 500 of. Uh, well, I ha and my followers, um, or I'm sorry, and the ones I was following. So I was following like 500 people. They deleted all of them. Uh, and then, you know, or at least maybe they didn't delete their accounts, but they removed them from my following list. And then my followers uh, dropped down to under like 100. And they were way beyond that. I mean, they were more than tenfold that. Um, but it didn't matter. Um, so... That's what's happening up to, just to me on Twitter. And now on Facebook, I have a satire site. You may have found this podcast through that satire site, but uh, through my eaglewit.com satire site. But on that site, when I share video or uh, share uh, pieces on Facebook, they constantly tell me uh, it's in violation of uh, rules. I haven't been uh, suspended yet, but um, you know, many of them are, are not allowed. Uh, they're certainly not allowed to be advertised in any way, which as a business, as a person who, you know, an entrepreneur, as someone who's trying to do something, um, that's, you know, that's, that's a way to handicap growth of conservative movements. It's just not letting them ever get their voice out there. Uh, so that is disheartening. And this is just yet another example of conservatives getting the short end of the stick. So I don't know if we need to get Congress involved to, uh, you know, regulate these platforms. Uh, because they are treating them as, um, you know, they're they're editorializing. They are, um, you know, they're picking and choosing, which is uh, not what a platform should be doing, uh, and that is that is wrong. And and I I'm seeing the effects of it uh, every single day across the social media uh, domain. So, on that note, uh, my name is Derek. This is the Free and Warrior Podcast. Please go ahead and subscribe. Hit hit the uh, subscribe button wherever you find the podcast at. Uh, I'll take a wild guess. Maybe it's iTunes. But go in there. Uh, it'll really help get the show out there to others and uh, help me incentivize me to continue doing it. 
So thanks again for tuning in. Uh, as always, enjoy your freedom, and I'll catch you next time.